Okay, so we're getting towards the, the back end of the uh, series on the Apostles' Creed. And this morning, the Holy Spirit, if you look at the um, Creed, I've put it on the sheets this time, and then haven't put it on my own stand. Um, you'll see it's pretty short on the Spirit. So you've got a, the first paragraph on God, Father Almighty, Creator Heaven and Earth. You've got a long paragraph on Jesus. And then one line on the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And that, that's it. Um, couple of things about that did the early church whoever quite put this creed together were they just not as interested in the holy spirit well no um why is it shorter firstly it it's it's not just the line i believe in the holy spirit that is about the holy spirit so part of what we'll see over the next couple of weeks where we're going to be in the capable hands of ethan and rory is that the work of the holy spirit is to create the church so all the stuff that comes after i believe in the holy spirit Although it's about the church, the communion of saints, so in many ways it, they are gifts that come from the Spirit. So that's one reason, church and Spirit are very closely related. Second reason is just a practical one, that um, you see often in some of the earliest creeds that they are a product of the kind of fights, the arguments of the day. Uh, and so in some of the other, the, the Nicene Creed that we use to say occasionally at, at church would be similar. Some of those early creeds, the first fights in the church were about the nature of, of Jesus primarily and the Trinity. And they hadn't yet sort of got to unpacking all they could think about uh, with the Holy Spirit. So um, this morning, when, you know, in, in one sense, I believe in the Holy Spirit. You can have a, a one-minute talk, couldn't you? The Holy Spirit, we believe in him. Good, let's go to church. So we're gonna, we're gonna, what we're going to do is dig in a little bit further into Scripture and see... Um, what kind of things we're called to believe about the Holy Spirit. So let's start with the question, who is he? Familiar territory, I'm sure, but it's good to go over the basics every now and again. Most fundamentally, of course, the Holy Spirit is God. He is uh, the third person of the Trinity, of one substance with God the Father and God the Son. Uh, where do we see that? We see it in how he's described in Scripture. So in John 14, so I'm full of cold this morning, um, no, obviously, Jesus at the Last Supper um, is speaking to the disciples, and he says, "I will ask." <laughs> there we go. Um, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. That's John fourteen, uh, sixteen and seventeen. <laughs> Gonna be a long morning for you. <laughs> another Counselor or another Helper. The, the word, you might know this word, it's, it's paraclete, it's a strange word that gets translated differently in different uh, versions. But a, a paraclete is somebody who comes alongside you um, to help you, to counsel you, to strengthen you. And the point is, I, Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'll give you another helper. In other words, someone like me. So Jesus has been with the disciples physically, the dozen of them more or less. And although he is leaving, another helper. In, in other words, he is going to be, an, as it were, a second Jesus to them. Um, in Acts 5, the verses I put down there are the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, early days of the church, um, they say, they say to, to the apostles, look, um, yeah, we've sold all our stuff, we've given all the money from the fields we've sold to the church, and they're lying. Now, as a matter of fact, there was no obligation on them to give all the money. Okay, it's perfectly okay to sell a field and give half the money to church or 10% or whatever. But they say we've, we've, sold, we've sold it and given all the money. 
and um, Peter's unimpressed. They end up dead, in fact, but not because he kills them. God strikes them down. But in the middle of the discussion, Peter says this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back part of the, for yourself, part of the proceeds of the land. And then one verse further down, you have not lied to man, but to God. You see the parallel? You've lied to the Holy Spirit. Why have you done that? Lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to man, but to God. So very clearly, the Holy Spirit is, um, is God, described as God. So there's a second passage about the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Um, think about Jesus' words about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. You get, you get it in each of the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Now, what does it mean to blaspheme? To blaspheme is to speak irreverently of God, isn't it? To slander God. I can't believe... If I say... Uh, is he in this match room? There's Nick. I'll pick on Nick. Um, Nick, my life, he's a scumbag. Um, don't trust a word he says. Now, that is slander. It's not true. It's, but it's not blasphemy, is it? Because he's not divine. So, so when Jesus says, do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit, he is putting the Holy Spirit on the level of God. You see? You can only blaspheme God. And then finally, just by way of descriptions, I pick four. Um, think about the baptism formula. Jesus says, go and baptise in the name, singular, of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Just imagine if next time we have a baptism, I said, look, this morning, you know, a little, I don't know, uh, it was chief of baptism. We baptised Levi recently. Imagine if I baptised Levi in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit and John T. Rhodes. Amen. Okay, that, that would be outrageous. Why? Because I'd be putting myself on a level with God. But Jesus does put the Holy Spirit on a level with the Father, the Son. So again, very clearly, the Holy Spirit is as divine as um, God. In fact, I can't use that as an adjective, can I? But, you know, as the Father and the Son. He is one substance, to use the language uh, of the other creeds. So there are descriptions of the Holy Spirit as just explicitly described as God. And we also see him doing what only God can do. So a classic example would be creation. Only God can create. You're either the creator or you're the creation. You've got to be one side of that line. And the only, the only thing above the line is God. And yet we see in Genesis 1 and 2, it's through the spirit that creation comes to be. Uh, we see in Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made by the breath. Now, you say, what's that got to do with the spirit? Well, the reason is that breath and spirit are the same word in um, Hebrew and, in fact, in Greek. So just, just as easily, by the word of the Lord, the heavens are made, by the spirit of his mouth, all their host. And it, you're beginning to see these little, even in the Old Testament, the Psalms, Genesis 1, these little hints of the, the sort of Trinitarian pattern. God, the Father, through the word, or Jesus' names, the second person, the Son, the word, by the power of the Spirit, creates. What does all that mean? It means that everything that's true of God the, God the Father is true of the Holy Spirit, except that he's the Spirit, not the Father. Everything that's true of God the Son is true of the Holy Spirit, except that he's God the Spirit, not God the Son. He's also personal. So we shouldn't think of the Holy Spirit as a force, um, just a power. You know, he's kind of like God's... Um, electricity that comes down from heaven to sort of empower you or something like that. Uh, no, he, he, 
he, he does personal things. So we can grieve him. We'll see a bit later in the Old Testament as well as in the New. It's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve your electricity supply, can you? You can break it or something or disrupt it. Or, but you can't grieve. Grieve is personal language. Uh, in that passage I, I read from earlier, John 14, Jesus will go on to say the Holy Spirit will teach you. Okay, again, you're taught by a person, aren't you? Um, in Hebrews 3, uh, the writer, whoever wrote Hebrews, maybe Paul, no one really knows, um, quotes a psalm. Fascinating, actually. Quotes a, a psalm and says, um, to introduce it, as the Holy Spirit says, and then quotes a psalm. Not as the Holy Spirit said, thousands of years ago, but has stopped saying now. To this day, the Holy Spirit is still speaking the same psalm. So again, the Holy Spirit is, is speaking. It's a personal activity. So who is he? He is God, uh, fully divine in every way, the third person of the Trinity. And therefore, he's to be worshipped, he's to be praised, um, just like Father and Son. It, the, the, the sort of part of the church, the part of the evangelical church I was converted into and discipled in for, for quite a few years really, was very um, suspicious of praising the Spirit or speaking to the Spirit or worshipping the Spirit or praying to the Spirit. And that's just a bit odd. Um, I now realise. <laughs> didn't realise for a long time. Um, it's certainly true in, in Scripture there is a pattern. On the whole, you see people praying to the Father in the Son's name, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. I guess that would be kind of a standard pattern. But um, we, we, it's not that as Christians we're only called to praise one member of the Trinity or two or something like that. It's just odd. Um, so we're not meant in any way to relegate the Holy Spirit to somehow kind of second or even third best behind father and son okay so who he is um, any questions so far I'm, I'm galloping a little bit this morning because I want to get on to kind of what he does but happy so far hopefully familiar great what does he do um just have a look at John 16. If you were going to mem- remember one verse, this would be a good one. John 16 and verse 14. John 16, 14. Jesus is speaking lots about the Holy Spirit in this section, but one, one verse to pick out. John 16, 14. He, talking about the Spirit. So imagine we're in the, we're in the, the Last Supper, okay, the night before Jesus goes to the cross he will glorify me says Jesus for he will take what is mine and declare it to you he will glorify me so the Holy Spirit's job whatever else he's doing is ultimately going to bring glory to Jesus there's a very famous illustration of this from um, a book called Keep in Step with the Spirit by, by um, Joe Packer that almost every time you hear a talk on the Holy Spirit I feel like everyone quotes this illustration so I'm legally obliged as a minister to quote it too um, which he, he, he talks about the spotlights um, so maybe you know you go past a big cathedral in a nice city like York I was in yesterday um, the, the spotlights come on at night to shine on, on to show the glory of the cathedral um, the job of the spotlight is not to point to itself but to the object it's lighting up I think of a stage the, the guy we, we went to see Frozen recently in London when we were on holiday the kids and you could see the guy we were up in the cheap seat so you're right at the top up here and you can see the guy with the great big light kind of swinging around following um, Elsa or whoever it is around the stage um, his job wasn't to flick the light up and they go like, hey, look at me 
fourth in charge of lights or something like that. Now his job was to shine the, the light on the, on the star. You can push that too far. I think I did push it too far in my own thinking, as I was saying a moment ago. You can push it so far that it's almost, it's almost sort of ungodly to think about the spirit or praise the spirit or something like that. No, that's too far. But the work of the spirit is to bring glory to Jesus. And that, that just is a bit of a corrective where sometimes I think there are elements of the church where it's kind of the, the father does all the creating and sort of ruling stuff. Jesus does all that dying and rising and then the Holy Spirit does all the crazy stuff and a, a sign of the spirits at work is something is totally unexpected and um, evidently supernatural and crazy and, and I just don't get that at all um, that the sign of the spirit is at work is glory is being um, shone on Jesus how does that work Let, let's put some more flesh on the bones I mean, we, there's obviously loads we could say so this is, this is very much a kind of highlights tour but picking two or three things first of all he gives life now we're going to do some discussion in just a moment but let me set it up uh, did I put John 6.63 on your sheet? great there we go Jesus speaking again says it's the spirit who gives life the flesh is no help at all the words I've spoken to you are spirit and life now that verse might be helpful to you in the discussion you're about to do, so keep it sort in your head. But you see, it's the spirit who gives life. It is a spirit that brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life. So there, he's not talking about the, it's the spirit who enables mothers to conceive and give birth in a literal sense, in a physical sense, but rather spiritual life. Hence, the flesh is no help at all. The flesh, i.e. just our, our, as it were, natural human life, we can, you know, God willing, give birth to children. Yeah, I know sometimes it's difficult and there are medical problems, but you know, on the whole, human beings, be they Christian, not Christian, are capable of, of having children. But nobody is capable of, of engineering or bringing into being spiritual life except the spirit. Um, and hence, in John's gospel, so John 3, uh, we get the language of born again, being born again. So John 3, 5, I think it is. I don't know if it's on your notes. It's not on mine. Uh, John 3, yeah, 5. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. Human beings give birth to human beings. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. It is the work of the Spirit to, to make people born as Christians, bring them to spiritual life. And you get something similar, Titus 3, um, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Okay, so far we know all that, we're saved by grace and mercy, not because we're really good chaps. How are we saved? By the washing of regeneration. Now, regeneration means born again you can always hear it can't you re again you know to rewind something go back and watch it again review something watch it again the re and then generate make so regeneration is to be born again so sometimes you hear people talk about you know is so and so regenerate what they mean is are they are they born again do they have a living faith and it comes through the holy spirit the regeneration renewal of the holy spirit so there you go, it's the spirit that makes you born again. With that in mind, and, and 
keep that John 6 one down on the sheet there as well. Have a go at that discussion round tables. Um, the, the idea is to muddy the waters and then hopefully you'll then clarify the waters again in the space of one discussion. So round table, someone take the lead, have a go at that. Okay, even if you haven't quite got to the end, we've got another discussion later, so I'm going to put us back together there. Um, what, what you should have seen is, alongside the John 3, Titus 3 verses about the Spirit uh, is the one who gives us a new birth, you, you hit verses that say, actually, it's the, the Word. And, and then, you're, oh, which, which is it? Um, and the answer, of course, is it's both, but one is the instrument, the means, and one is the, the power. Um, so, old, old school language, one is the efficient cause, the Holy Spirit, one is the instrumental cause, the, the word. Um, so, by way of, uh, what, uh, what have I got? Um, sorry, this is, these are made up illustrations, eh? A knife, here we go, a knife. I get a knife, I chop Mervyn's head off, okay, with this knife, okay? That's what happened with on-the-fly illustrations. Um, um, and then someone comes to arrest me, and I say, no, 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 it wasn't me who killed him, it was the knife. What does the policeman say? Well, the policeman doesn't say, no, the, the, knife, it wasn't, the knife wasn't involved at all. No, the knife was involved, but only as I wielded it. Okay? So the, the power, the real cause, as it were, the ultimate cause is me, but the instrumental cause is the knife. Okay, well, so, so too with the word. The spirit takes away. In fact, this is a better illustration than I even realised when I saw the knife. Um, because the, the, the sword of the spirit. The word is the sword. Look at that. Uh, thank you. Just to impress Will Allen, uh, who's down from Amity. Um, the, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. But the, the, a sword on its own, you just sat there, it's not doing anything. It's, it's only with the spirit um, brings the power of God that the word does something. So um, sometimes... Evangelicals have got a high view of the Bible, as I hope we have, get accused of, you know, oh, you believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the, God the Word, or something, or God the, the Bible. No, not at all. But the Spirit is the meat, sorry, the, the Word is the means, the tool that the Spirit usually, ordinarily, not always he can do what he wants, but ordinarily uses to bring life. Hence, that, that verse, John 6, it's the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are Spirit and life. Jesus' words, which are now obviously for us written down in John, you know, literally reading them, they are spirit and life. I mean, it, so John Owen was, was a kind of Puritan, or every stereotype you like, you know, he, he wrote a commentary on Hebrews that's about this thick, and you know, he was, he was a Bible guy through and through. But he said, to slightly paraphrase, um, without the Holy Spirit, we might as well burn our Bibles. Um, it's not magic. Um, and we know that, don't we? Because otherwise you can just put a Bible... Or you could project John 3.16 above Leeds, send a plane with a banner, um, and everyone will be converted. But no, because the Spirit has to come to bring life. And that brings us to the second part of the question, which is, or the second topic you talked about, can someone resist the work of the Spirit? Ultimately, the answer is no. So that, that there are different streams of the church have answered this question in different ways. Um, but I think what the Bible teaches, and this is what the Reformed... Um, stream has tried to emphasize is that is that salvation is by grace alone from start to finish so it's not just gracious that god sent jesus into the world to die for us it's not just gracious that jesus was willing to die for us 
But it's also grace, as in the work of God, that causes us to believe in those things. It wasn't that God said, um, look, here's the gospel. I can't balance it, but here's the gospel. There it is. Anyone who takes it will be saved. Drink the life-giving potion and over to you. Let's see who takes it. If he'd done that, none of us would ever have reached out and actually taken the, you know, the life-giving gospel and drunk it. It would be like, yeah, if you came up with a potion that could bring the dead back to life, it would be like taking it and putting it next to a coffin and saying, drink. It doesn't matter how powerful the potion is, a corpse can't reach up and drink it. We're like that. We are dead in our sins, um, Paul says in Ephesians 2. We're unable to believe, therefore. Romans 3, no one seeks God. It's not that we were really looking for him. And then the clever ones among us or the holy ones or the righteous ones found him. None of us were even looking. But God in his mercy, as the gospel was preached to us usually, sends the spirit to bring us to life. And that, that it, it is, um, so if you want a technical word for it, it's monogistic. It's mono, one. God alone is doing all the work. It's not a corporation, a synergy between us and him. So in the, the Lutherans sort of teach that uh, you'll be saved when you hear the gospel as long as you don't resist it. Okay, so I, I'm off to a see you carol service next week um yeah god willing i'll be able to preach the gospel as long as people don't resist it for the lutherans they'll, they'll be saved so you have the power to resist but as long as you don't as long as you choose not to resist you'll be okay so just a little bit that you're helping i'm i'm cleverly not resisting or whatever um for the the, the wesleyans and the methodists the arminians um you'll be saved as long as you accept so we're all able to accept the holy spirit does the first work which is almost like bringing us all to neutral so we're all able to accept or reject and he does that to everybody and then it's over to you whether you choose to accept or not but again there's still something you're doing I think that's what Jesus is saying in John 6 or John 3 or Paul in Titus 3 no the Holy Spirit brings us to life he does all the work you may have all sorts of questions about that. I put way too much on the sheets for today. So let me just get through the last couple of things. Um, he brings us to life. He then dwells within us. Romans 8. Um, we could have gone all over the place for this. But he stays dwelling in Christians. Uh, just going to read a couple of those verses. Romans 8. Um, you, however, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Spirit of God continues to dwell in you, which is the same as Jesus living in you. Um, uh, next verse. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the spirit dwells in you is the same as Jesus dwelling in you. That's why Jesus can say at the Great Commission, um, I will be with you always. He's not physically in his human nature with us always, walking around. But he sends his spirit. So he continues to live in the church. And his great work is to make us holy. He is the Holy Spirit. That is the word that is used to describe most often. So if you want a sign of the Spirit's work, it's bringing glory to Jesus and making the church holy. Again, rather than the kind of weird, the wacky, the wonderful being the sign that he's at work, the unexpected, holiness is the sign that he is at work. He is there to make us more like Jesus. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so then we're debtors, Paul goes on in that Romans 8 passage. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but um, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. Keep in step with the Spirit, he says in Galatians. 
Okay, it is the Spirit empowering us. This is such good news that, that enables us to slowly put sin to death and to do the things that we've been neglecting to do in God's service. Um, I gallop through that. Let me, let me try and finish with this, and then if we've got time, we'll do a couple of minutes of more discussion. Go really big picture. Okay, I'm go really big picture. The spirit, the story of the spirit is, is always one of forming and filling. Forming and filling. So right back at the beginning, Genesis 1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what do we see? We see the spirit of God hovering over the waters. It is, then God speaks. So you've got God, the Father, you've got the spirit over the waters, and then God speaks. So the word, as it were, comes through the spirit, and it, creation happens. The word carried on the spirit that forms creation. Um, think about Adam and Eve. The Adam, or Adam at least. Adam is formed out of the ground and then God breathes on him. Maybe it's the same word as spirit. He is filled. Adam is filled with the breath of God, the spirit of God, and he comes to life. He's no longer just a sort of earth model on the floor or whatever. He's a living being, forming and filling. Um, you get it in the Exodus. Let's look at this. This is a, a, a less well known passage. Just have a look at Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. And Isaiah is talking about the Exodus. Um, I'm going to have to jump in so we skip some of it. So look at verse 9. Um, <coughs> uh, in their affliction, he was afflicted. The angel of his presence saved them. In his love, in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to their enemies and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put them in the midst of them, his Holy Spirit? Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, divided the waters before them to make him an everlasting name, who led them through the depths... Uh, like a horse in the desert, they didn't stumble. Like livestock, they go down to the um, valley. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You see, the Spirit is at work in the Exodus. You say, where? Where do you see the Spirit in the Exodus? You won't see the word Spirit much in the text of Exodus itself. It's, it's leading and guiding them. And, and so what do you see? What you see is that great glory cloud. Do you remember the shiny cloud, a pillar of um, fire and smoke? That, that is the... the um, uh, sort of manifestation, the, the visible presence of the Holy Spirit. He is in the midst of them, leading them and guiding them. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So again, he's rescued them, forming them into a people, taking them out of Egypt. And then what does he do? He fills the tabernacle. That great glory cloud fills the tabernacle. Um, so that burning, fiery presence is there in the midst of his people. Um, and in fact, if we had time to look up all the verses, we'd see it's the Holy Spirit who comes on these craftsmen to enable them to build the tabernacle, again, forming and then filling. And so this pattern, form and fill, form and fill, continues right into the New Testament. Mary is overshadowed by the power of the, the Almighty. The Holy Spirit overshadows her. Again, it's echoes of creation, echoes of exodus. It is the Holy Spirit that enables the Son of God to, to take a, a human nature, become incarnate. 
in the womb of Mary. He forms the, the human nature of Jesus, does that miraculous work. And then the Holy Spirit fills Jesus. Time and again, we read about the Spirit coming down on Jesus, and Jesus filled with the Spirit in baptism or a couple of other occasions as well. Forming and filling, forming and filling, forming and filling. And so it's not a surprise when we get to Pentecost, which is the great day of um, the pouring out of the Spirit in a kind of spectacular way, Acts 2. You see again the fire, the smoke, you see the signs that you had at Mount Sinai. Rushing wind, that kind of glory cloud. But it comes down and fills now not a building, but the disciples, God's people. The Holy Spirit is forming and filling a new temple. It's at this time, it's the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is the church, the people. No longer a building or a tent. No longer just Jesus, who himself is described as a as tabernacling among us. He's the temple ultimately. But now he's filling the church. So the church is filled with the Spirit, formed by the Spirit, brought to life by the Spirit, out of your sins, to believe, and then filled. Um, so that's why Paul can say things like, do you not know that you, you plural, you lot, are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And that's also why in Ephesians and various other places, it is the church that displays God's glory. The, the tabernacle, well, first of all, the creation, was, meant, was formed by God, filled by the Spirit to display his glory, but we stuffed it up. Then Israel was formed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit to display God's glory, but Israel stuffed it up. So, so now Jesus comes, he didn't mess it up, and through the church, the glory of God is meant to be displayed. Formed by the Spirit, the power of God, filled with the Spirit. And so I'm going to give you like two minutes for this. Just have a look at those verses in Ephesians 4. What do they teach us to seek? Okay, where this Ephesians is all about God making through the Spirit a new temple, displaying His glory. Have a go. Three sets of passages. What do they teach us to seek and why? Okay, sorry, I put way too much in this morning for us to cover. So I'm going to put us back together. Um, if you didn't get time to see all, the, but basically what you're seeing is look the, the temp. The temple has been created by the Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So don't rip it apart. Keep the unity of the Spirit. It's not a command to be united uh, or to get to unity. You are united. Don't, don't break it up. Um, you, know, you wouldn't rip a bit off, take a few bricks out of the temple, would you, in the Old Testament days? You're going to start your own temple. Uh, rip a bit off the tabernacle to go and sow your own tabernacle. But don't split the unity of the, the body either. Um, holiness. You know, corrupting talk or whatever. You know, you're... Can you imagine going into the, the tabernacle or the temple in Old Testament days and committing adultery or swearing or getting drunk or whatever, you know, committing sin in the tabernacle, awful. But now the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, that mighty spirit is now in you as a church. Um, it is both an encouragement and a warning. Don't, commit, you know, don't do it and you're able not to do it because all that power is available to you. Um, and then the... the, the keep on being filled with the spirit once you become a christian you you have the holy spirit and he's not going to leave you but you can seek more and more as it were of him keep on being filled is paul's command interestingly it's combined with the word again you speak psalms hymns spiritual songs you know as the word of god is spoken to you word and spirit together again and that's really where, where i want to finish I, jesus words luke 7 i put on the end of your sheets um it, it is a good thing to keep asking god for more of the, the spirit 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Um, it is good to keep asking God for the Holy Spirit, um, even as a believer, I think. Um, not because he might leave or he's missing a bit or something, but it's, it's, like, it's like someone taking control of a house. Um, the Holy Spirit is in you, but there are still a lot of rooms as yet undecorated, unsorted out. You might not have got hold of your money yet or your thought life or your sex life or your generosity or your kindness or your patience or the different rooms of your house. So you're asking to be filled more and more, not because there's a more that needs to be poured out, but because there's lots of you that is not yet sort of sanctified by the Spirit. Um, let me pray for that and then we'll, we'll finish. Father in heaven, it is your spirit who is the Lord and the giver of life. And so we pray that he would give life uh, to our mortal bodies. We pray that he would uh, fill us more and more, uh, that he would put to death or we would put to death by his power, the sin that remains. Would he bring us revelation? Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes this morning as we'll preach this, that we might see uh, ourselves and our saviour more clearly. And we pray as a church, we would be utterly reliant on your power, not our own. Uh, we praise you, Holy Spirit, for your kindness in bringing us to life. Make us people, we, uh, we, we beg of you, who do see the glory of Jesus and live for him and from him. Uh, we ask in his name. Amen.